Okay, we are going to be in Luke 21 this morning. Luke 21. Um, we are almost finished with Luke. In fact, this week, um, if you're keeping up with our reading, we're going to be in the Gospel of John this week. And again, I, th- I think I've told you guys before, but for me, I find it so helpful to have to know what an author's doing. And so I have put together a diagram of the book of John. They're on the table that you can grab on the way out. Um, John's gospel is unique compared to Matthew, Luke, and Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So um, really challenge you, even if you've like fallen behind or you've been struggling daily and you'll do two or three days to catch up, getting into John I think is a great chance to kind of sit before God and say, I'm kind of renewing my commitment to daily being in your word. Um, 90% of what you'll see in John is not in any of the other gospels. So again, it's a chance to encounter some new things. Just a few brief things. John, more than any of the Gospels, is really wanting to present Jesus as the living embodiment of God, um, seeing that he is God incarnate, seeing the deity of Jesus. That's his major focus. And he, what he really focuses on is he has seven miraculous signs. He calls them that. And those signs are miracles that were done specifically to point out who he was, that he is Lord. And he also has, John has a lot of sevens. He gives Jesus seven titles. Seven times in the book of John, Jesus specifically says of himself, I am, which is the covenant name of God, Yahweh, so he's calling himself the name of God. Seven times he has an I am statement, I am the living water, I am the bread of life. So a very strong emphasis on the deity of Jesus. And I love John, um, he's, he's very unique, so I'm really looking forward to digging into his gospel the next, uh, the next month or so. Um, today in Luke 21, we're going to be in a text that uh, is one of the most difficult sayings of Jesus in the Gospels, at least for me. And this one we're going to look at is difficult, not because I don't understand it, it's difficult because I clearly understand it, and the thing that he's calling me to is not easy. And it, goes, it cuts against the grain of my sinful self, um, and that's why it's hard. Before we turn to Luke 21 and look at the story, I want to first give you just a little insight into my story um, so you can understand where I'm coming from and why this cuts across the grain of who I am. I grew up, you know, I grew up in a home with no faith. God was unimportant to me. Um, great family, great parents. My father was a professor at Fort Hay State University, then got into administration. I didn't know this most of our growing up, but learned later, figured out that he probably... His income was very upper middle income, but we lived at a pretty simple level. You would have thought we were just like the average family with average income. And my father was a very frugal person, and he saved a lot and didn't spend on frivolous things. And I learned a lot from my father about how to use money. A lot of the way I use money comes from my, from my father, especially from my parents. They were both frugal people. But there is one thing in my story that is important, though. As much as they were good with money, I never one time in my life, and I, I love my parents, um, I'm not wanting to speak down on them at all, but I never one time in my life saw them give money to anything. Never ever saw them give money to anything. And so I grew up with an unspoken narrative uh, all through my childhood up into my teens before I knew Jesus that what, it, what, what was mine, the money I made was mine. And I used it for myself. I either spent it on myself or I saved it for a future need for myself. But what was mine was mine. And I had no sense of giving or generosity. I'd never seen it happen. And when I came to Jesus and started learning that giving and generosity is all about what he is about and it's all of who he is, that like totally went across the grain of everything that I was. And that 
That has been, frankly, I've been on this journey since I became a follower of Jesus, of learning to become generous like he has. It's been a lifelong thing, and it's going to continue to be that way. So that's just where I am. Um, I really challenge you even, it might be a good table discussion. Well, that's a great discussion for Mother's Day, right? But, but even to think about what, what did you see growing up and what's the narrative that you took in from your family that influenced how you view money? So I want you, we're going to turn to Luke 21. And we're going to, this should be up on the screen. And I would like you to um, read, I'm going to actually, I think I'm going to skip those two things right now. I want you to read Luke 21 with me. So if you could stand. Um, I would like you to read this with me, Luke chapter 21, and we're going to read the first four verses, and here is the word of God. As Jesus looked up, he saw the rich putting their gifts into a temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins. Truly I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she gave out of her poverty. Put in, yeah, she, out of her poverty, sorry, put in all she had to live on. And this is the word of the Lord. And I want to word before the word of the Lord. This is holy ground. This is holy ground. And we want to be, we want to have ears to hear and we want to be obedient to it. So you may be seated. So we come upon this really simple story, this one that Every time I read it, it's so convicting for me, and I'm always like, Jesus, God, why did you put that one in there? And I think I know why he did was for people like me. Um, so we look at the story, and it says that Jesus, he looked up, and he saw the rich were putting their gifts into the temple treasury. I need to kind of give you some cultural background. So here is the whole temple complex in Jerusalem as it was in that time. Um, we're going to, in a minute, I'm going to refer to the fact that most of his debates he's been having with religious leaders has happened in this, the Gentiles courtyard, this whole big kind of open area. That's where a lot of his teaching and discussions were going on. But he ends up making his way into the temple treasury, which actually was, the treasury was in the court of women in that, that, that part of the temple complex. So Jewish Gentiles could not go in here. Uh, you would go through the gate. Beautiful Jewish women and children could worship God and go in there. Only Jewish men could go into the next level, um, into that kind of, kind of priest courtyard. That's where they would go to offer their offering, I mean their sacrifice on the altar for their sin. And so it was in this courtyard of women where Jesus is watching this happen. Um, in the courtyard of women, it was a treasury. There were 13 wooden boxes around the courtyard of the women. Each had an inscription of the kind of gift that it would take, whether it was a free will offering or a grain offering or whatever. Um, so it would have an inscription, and you would put the right kind of gift in there. And each of those boxes had um, kind of a metal, like trumpet-looking thing. It actually looked a little bit like the, the shofar, the thing that Jewish people, their instrument they have. They didn't have trumpets. And that was metal, and you would throw your coins into that, and that's how it would get down um, into that offering box. And those boxes were actually called the trumpets, or in their culture it was called the shofar, um, that was the name of those 13 receptacles. And that's when she gave the money, that's what he was watching her give into. And as you can imagine, with that metal being on there, that if somebody came and they threw in a large number of coins, you would hear a large number of coins, right? And if somebody threw in only one coin, you could tell the difference between that and a large number. If somebody threw in a large coin, you could hear the difference of that, as opposed to somebody who threw in a very small coin, which we're going to get to in a minute with this, this widow. 
So here, here he is in, this, this, uh, in the courtyard of the women, as I showed you. Um, and some people have kind of wondered if I even backed up to that, like what was Jesus doing in there? Men could, go, could pass through there on their way into the court of men. Um, like why was he sitting in there and observing this? And some people, nobody knows, but some people guess he's been having two chapters worth of debates with religious leaders. And they've been pretty intense and that perhaps he just stepped through that gate beautiful for a minute and just went into this area where it was a lot more quiet to rest. We really don't know. But while he's in there, verse 2 says that he saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins, into two small copper coins. In their culture, widows were poor. There were very few widows that had hardly any money. It's interesting when Luke calls her a poor widow, where to us that's like, yeah, probably a lot of widows were poor, but the word he chose is a very strong word that, that it's an adjective that means destitute. She wasn't just poor, she was the poorest of the poor. She was a destitute widow. And he said, this widow came in and threw in two copper coins. Um, those coins that she threw in were called leptons. It's the only Jewish coin that's mentioned in the whole New Testament. Um, it was the smallest coin that they had, both in size and amount. I'm going to get in a minute to the amount. The word lepton meant a tiny thing. I have some leptons I got when I was in Israel. Some of you, if you grew up with any, have heard the King James, you've heard of the widow's might. How many of you have heard of the widow's might? How many of you have heard of that? Might in English means tiny thing. You know, mites are really small. So that was their way of saying it, of trying to translate lepton. Um, it's extremely small. It's very light. I'm going to have a, some back there. I'm going to kind of hurry back at the end, and people were looking at these. If you want to feel one, these are actually from the time of Jesus. We know from some of the inscription on it. Um, but these things, this was worth one 132nd of a day's wage of an average day's laborer, and so you don't have time to do the math. That was worth, that's what you got for five minutes of work. So if you, if you were just a regular laborer, you showed up, say, at the cement place where you worked, you clocked in, you went out back, got one of the cement mixing trucks, brought it up to where it belonged, and then you clocked out, you would get paid one of these. That's basically what you would get. Um, it was very insignificant in value by itself. This could only buy a small handful of flour that you could make a very small little loaf of bread with. So again, it's, the value of it's not very high. So her gift, just to look at it, was insignificant and puny. Again, when, if you hold one of these, you'll be surprised at how small and light this thing is. Um, I think I actually have a picture of it. You can kind of get an idea on the hand of how small that is. That's what they, the ones from his time look like. But Jesus says in verse 4, at the very end, it says that she put in all that she had, all that she had to live on. So these two coins that she had was like her subsistence. And after giving these two things, she had nothing. She had nothing, which is really quite amazing. And Mark's gospel tells us uh, a detail Luke doesn't have, that after she gave, Jesus called the disciples over. So he called the disciples over to himself. And then if you look at verse 23, I mean, verse 3, he says, truly I tell you, and I want to tell you in the gospels, anytime Jesus says, truly I tell you, it's really significant. It's his way of saying, hey, pay attention, y'all. Um, I don't usually say y'all, but my parents are from Texas, so I can use it occasionally, okay? I have the right, the birthright for it. But it's like he's saying, pay attention, y'all. What I'm going to tell you is extremely significant. Listen to what I have to say. And then what's he say after this? He says, this poor widow has put in more than all of the others. She's put in more 
than all the others. It's almost like, did you even hear what she put in? Because this is so small in the sound, you probably wouldn't even have heard it. And he's like, I need to, I need to I'm going to pull back a curtain. I'm going to teach you some spiritual reality of how God views giving and money. And he says she's put in more um, than all the others. It's interesting that literally in the Greek, it says he, when I hear that, what it sound, when I read that, what it sounds like, well, she put in, she put in more than you and more than you and more than you and more than you. But in the Greek, it's she put in more than all of the others combined. Is that not a really strong statement? You take everybody who just gave and what she put in was more than all of those people combined. That's a really strong statement. And he's making a really big contrast. Look at, so he says that there, and then in verse 4, all these people gave their gifts out of their wealth, but she gave out of her, out of her poverty and put, on all she had, put in all she had to live on. As I read, like, just some commentators on this, they all put this in different ways, but it's really clear that Jesus is making a really important contrast. I just want to read you some of the ways people worded the contrast, because I just thought some of these were powerful. They had given just a percentage of their wealth, but she had given everything, everything she had to live on. They gave out of what they could spare. She could spare nothing, yet she gave everything. They gave what they could easily afford. She gave what she could not afford, all that she had left. They gave from their surplus, which would hardly be missed. She gave from her need, and it was all that she had. They gave a fraction of their wealth. She gave 100% of her poverty. They gave from what they could spare easily and still have plenty left. She gave everything she had, and she had nothing left. They left rich. She left with nothing. Theirs was a contribution. Hers was a total sacrifice. And that's why when I read this, it's so difficult for me. That this is so difficult. Because he, Jesus is pulling back the curtain again on how does God look at things like giving. And again, he said, she put in more than everybody else combined. And what I learn from this story every time I read it and what I know is, is God's way of measuring and my way of measuring are radically different, right? His way of counting and my way of counting are probably total opposites. When it comes to giving, I tend to focus on what I give. But as I, Howard Marshall, one of the great New Testament scholars puts it, God focuses on what I keep on what I keep, totally different than me. And that's why when I read this every time, I go kind of like, ouch, this one hurts. Daryl Bach, a commentator, said, God does not count, he weighs. James R. Edwards summarizes it this way, in the divine exchange rate, in his exchange rate, things look differently than us. That which made no difference in the books of the temple, this would have made almost no difference in the temple treasury is immortalized in the book of life. Isn't that amazing? And this shouldn't surprise us, right? Um, it shouldn't surprise us because 1 Samuel 1.7 says this, the Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at outward things, and God looks at what? He looks at the heart and the intent of what's going on in here. We, and I think me, I value the amount of the gift. God values the sacrifice. And that's why Jesus valued her gift more than everybody else put together. Why, as A. Plummer says, in spirit she was richer than all of them. And I really think that's the whole point of the story is sacrifice. That her gift was small, 
but her sacrifice was total. She gave all she had. It's interesting, in Mark's gospel, he adds, she put in everything. Just to make it really clear, it was the last two coins that she had. Um, and even more interesting, if I showed you, like if we were to take the Greek and I were to show it to you, literally it reads, she gave all the life that she had. That's how it reads literally, all the life that she had. And so one commentator said perhaps the best way to translate it is she laid down her whole life. In that giving, she laid down her whole life. And I feel like her action showed that she took very seriously the words Jesus had spoken, maybe that day, maybe the day before, in that very temple, when he said to those Herodians and the Pharisees, I, I couldn't find this when I did this a, about a month ago or two months ago, when he said to them, you give to Caesar what is Caesar's, that's his, but you give to God what is God's, and that's me and my whole life. She took that seriously. And literally, that day when she's giving, she's giving her life, she's giving her whole self, she's giving everything. And she reminds me a lot of the Macedonian believers. And I, I read that in our generosity moment, apart. But in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul talks about that the Macedonian believers, though they were in extreme poverty, gave generously to help believers in Jerusalem. And Paul says they gave out of their extreme poverty, he says, even beyond their ability. And the key, the thing that I read, the key to that whole thing, that whole text, actually I didn't read this first, but it says that the reason they could do it is they gave themselves first of all to the Lord. First, they gave themselves to the Lord. So this kind of giving can only come if I've first given myself to the Lord. When I read this story, I think of David. And I love his example, but it's so against, again, the grain of who I am. In 2 Samuel 24, in 2 Samuel 24, David went up to build an altar to the Lord on the threshing floor of Aruna the Jebusite. And in 2 Samuel 24, here's what it says. So David went up as the Lord commanded through Gad, and when Aruna looked and he saw the king and his officials coming toward him, he went out and he bowed down before the king with his face to the ground. And Aruna said, why is my lord the king come to his servant? And David answered, to buy your threshing floor so I can build an altar to the lord. And Aruna said to David, let my lord the king take whatever he wishes and offer it up. It's all yours for free. Here are the oxen for the burnt offering. Here are the threshing sledges. Here are oxes for the wood, ox yokes for the wood. Your majesty, Aruna gives all of this to the king. But, the king da but King David replied to Aruna, No, I insist on paying for it because of this passage that I love. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings. That cost me nothing. This man whose heart was pursuing the heart of God, this is how he lived. I will not do things for the Lord that cost me nothing. And so to me, this widow... Is, is, just, is living in the spirit of David. And when I read this story, interestingly, um, it's not just sacrifice. I see something else inside of it. Let me grab another one of these, these leptons in here. Because it said she came with two, everything she had, and she put both in that offering. And what's interesting is she didn't have to give both, Right? She could have given one and legitimately kept the other one. It would have been enough for a half, I mean, a half of a half of a handful of flour, a itty bitty cake to eat that day. She didn't have to give two, but yet she gave everything that she had. And to me, what I sense in that is not just her sacrifice, but this kind of reckless, abandoned love for God. You, people probably look at it and say she's crazy, but what I've seen is this reckless love for God that I frankly 
wish that I had, and I feel like she kind of shames me a lot of the times. Um, this whole thing, this act of love she does, to me it smells, has the fragrance of a loving devotion, that here is a woman who loved God with all of her heart, her soul, her, soul, her strength, and her mind. She loved God with everything. And her sacrifice, that type of sacrifice, only comes from a fully devoted, undivided heart. So every time I read this, I am moved by her example because she models to me what I think giving should be like. But at the same time, I'm also, I cringe at her example and I want to hold this off to the side because of what it says about me. I don't know if you understand that, but that's how I feel every time I read this story. And it's interesting to me that from this one seem, this simple um, from the heart act, she gained she gains universal fame. She made it in the gospel. They're the two greatest, most extravagant gifts in the whole gospels are two women close to the time of Jesus' death. A woman uh, who who was very poor, who took a year's who, her perfume probably given to her, handed down from her mother, is is culturally most likely the thing, and she poured all of that on him. This extravagant giving of everything, and this widow, and those two women are both in the Gospels, forever there as an example of what Jesus is trying to communicate as real giving looks like. So I told you, I can't read this without some level of correction, some kind of conviction. Um, I'll be honest, every time I look at this story, it stings. It's like a jab in the gut. I don't know about you guys. It convicts me every time. And if you're with me in that boat, if you're like, her, yeah, her story kind of convicts me too, I just want to to tell you something, I have to remind myself all the time, that when I read things in the gospel that like sit, don't sit well with me, or like, Jesus, how can you say that, or I don't get that, or that doesn't sound right, or I don't, this example, that's a little extreme, that the thing I have to constantly tell myself is the problem, when I have a problem with it, the problem really isn't with Jesus, right? The problem's not with Jesus, the problem is with who? The problem's with me, Right? Jesus is the one who's the truth. He has the true view of reality. The things that he says, when they jab me, it's not his problem. He doesn't need to change. The person that needs to change is me. I need to rearrange my priorities, my values, the way I think, the way I live, the way I give based upon the things that he says. And I think I'm not the only one put to shame by her example because right after this story, it's so funny, in the very next verse... So he tells this story, and I think probably his disciples were kind of like me. They were probably people like me, and they felt really uncomfortable at this amazing sacrifice, and he says, she gave more than everybody in here, and then they go, hey, by the way, this temple's so beautiful. Look at all the things that these gifts bought. So they take his emphasis on gifts, like, whoa, that's uncomfortable, and they want to shift the focus, right? That's what I feel like I'm like. And then Jesus says, oh, by the way, these stones, none of them are going to be standing. Eventually, this whole thing is going to come down will be thrown down. Okay, before I do application, let me do a couple of things. Um, I want to make a little kind of side trip for just a second um, before I get to my final thoughts and application. First, this story doesn't mean God doesn't appreciate my gifts. I'm gonna, in a minute, I'm going to invite you to join me on a journey of generosity. Skip and Jan would understand that. And it doesn't mean that if I'm, not, if I'm not giving to the level of this woman that he doesn't appreciate the giving that I do. That's not the point, okay? So don't think that. Second, this story doesn't teach that we should give to the point of destitution. 
that Jesus is saying, everybody who follows me, give everything away, because then we'd all be living on the streets, seeing each other every morning in Commercial Street downtown, right, you know, with no clothes or anywhere to live. And that's not his point. That's not the point. But it's so easy for me to be like, okay, that's not his point, so I, don't ha- I can skip this story and I don't have to worry about it. Don't let that blunt the reality of this that he is calling for sacrificial giving and living. Don't let it blunt the force on your life. I've got to stand and take it and be a man with it, right? Over the years, I have seen in myself and others that it's easy when we, take it, when we hear a story like this, or there's some other ones about giving that are pretty uncomfortable that come off Jesus' lips, to be like, well, I mean... I mean, that means non-sacrificial gifts don't matter. He's asking me to give up, become destitute. And so I say like, well, that's unreasonable. And I convince myself that this really doesn't apply to me. And then nothing in my life changes. Let's not do that, okay? Because I think it's easy to do that, but that's not the point. And here's why we shouldn't. Because good medicine always tastes bad, always tastes bad, right? This story <laughs> tastes bad every time I read it. I mean, I love it, but it tastes, it's so hard but it's good medicine. Uh, my mother always told me that, and this is Mother's Day, so we have to believe what mother says, right? I still am not sure, convinced that cherry cough syrup is good for you, okay? That's the most nasty stuff ever created, and I don't know who calls it cherry. That is not cherry. Um, but we need this story, it's good medicine, because we need to learn generosity and giving and learning to live sacrificially. It's for our own good. God doesn't ask for my money and my giving so we can build big buildings like he needs it, like he, he has to have our money. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills, right? The reason he asks for my giving is for my good because he knows, he knows Garen and he knows I need to grow in generosity and in giving and sacrificial living and he gives it to me to set me free from my attachment to money and possessions and to, to, to holding on, you know, saving too much, right? He wants to set me free from that and he wants me to live into the goodness of generosity, That's why these hard stories are in there. So if I were to summarize the text, three things I think are really important. Number one, that no gift is too small. No gift is too small. I've been in the place where you feel like what I give doesn't matter. Her gift, I don't remember if I said it, was 88 cents in today's money. Her gift was less than a dollar bill. Nothing's too small to God. No time, no talent, nothing in treasure, no gift is too small. I think that's really um, important to learn. Second, the giving is a central part of discipleship. I can't follow Jesus and, and, be on, and not be on a journey towards generosity. Greater levels of giving and generosity. Um, Al used to say it. I've heard it a lot of other places that if you want to show me your devotion to God, let me look at your checkbook. And I just aged myself because I got a lot of, there's a lot of blank stares up here about checkbooks. I don't even see anybody hardly use checkbooks anymore. <laughs> Seems like Country Mart's the only place I ever get behind somebody. So forget the checkbook. If I want to know your devotion to God, maybe I'll look at your credit card statement. That's a little more modern. Or for the college age, uh, let me see your Venmo app and the details of that, right? That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth because where your treasure is, your heart will be also. He knows that where my treasure is, where my heart will be. And I think the third thing I learned is God longs for generosity and sacrifice. You can't get away from it. It's all through the Gospels. And if I want to be formed into the way of Jesus, I need to become more generous and more sacrificial in everything I do, right? And think about it. If you're a parent, uh, at least I know dads. I'm a dad. It makes total sense. 
Because don't you long for your children to grow up to be generous people who live sacrificially for others? Do you not long for that from your children? You don't want children that are stingy and cling to their stuff and they're not generous in their spirit with their money or anything. Isn't that what we long for our children? Well, that's what God longs for us as his children. And as I frequently find myself thinking through the Gospels, and even this week asking again, does Jesus ever ask anything of me that he is not willing to give? He's asking for sacrificial giving. Is he unwilling to give sacrificially? Is the Father unwilling to give sacrificially? John three sixteen. for God, he loved the world in this way. He gave his son. I would never do that. And Jesus, Mark 10, 45, the son of man, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. I wouldn't give my life for probably, I don't know, doesn't sound good. He's the pastor. He should give his life for everybody. I mean, give my life for somebody? You know, I guess in the moment you might, but, you know, Paul talks about he gave his life for sinners, for people that were his enemies. Is Jesus not the most sacrificial person that ever lived? He is not willing to ask anything of us that he has not done for us. That's what I love about Jesus. We're never more like God than when we're generous and sacrificial. So, application. Here's my application from this text. Um, I'd like to invite all of you to go on a jog with me, okay? Or jogs. And you're going to look at the slide and you're going to be like, that doesn't even, the L, like you left the L out, that makes no sense. But... Um, I went to a, a study with the Evans, with the Harshmans, with the Stroms that was really powerful. God already had me on a journey to generosity. That even took me up a notch, and I love the language. I think we're all on a journey, all of us, to be more generous, right? And to living more sacrificially. And I just want to challenge all of us as a body that wherever we are, that we're willing to, with God, to take whatever the next step is. Lord, I know I can be more generous and sacrificial than I've been. Just I want to take another step. Would you just show me? This year, I just want to take another step. Maybe it's another percentage point of my giving. I don't know. I just want to take another step. A journey of a thousand miles begins with one step. I probably will die and never be to the level of this widow with what she gave. But I can be on my own journey to generosity and sacrificial giving. So, um, We're out of time. I, would, I was going to show you a really thing, that, a thing I find helpful, which is a ladder of generosity, which gives people kind of a sense of where you are and maybe what a next step is. I'm probably going to somehow print this off or get this out to people. Um, but basically, there are people here who have never given at all, probably like I was when I was a new believer, and you can become an initial giver like, you know what, I'm going to give for the first time to God's kingdom. I've never done that. That's, gonna be, that's my next step is I'm going to give. Some people, they just give occasionally if you feel like it, got a little extra change, throw it in the bucket or the box, you know. And it's like, no, I'm, my next step is I'm going to become more consistent in giving. There are people who it's the, the intentionality like, you know what, I know that what God calls me to as a minimum is the 10% tithe, and I'm only at 2%. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to become intentional, and over the next few years, I'm going to work my way a little at a time to the 10%. And then there's other people who are like, um, you know, I'm, I'm faithful. I give that 10%. Um, I'm doing that. I, I'm at that place. And for those people, it might be, you know what, maybe I don't just stop there. And generous giving to me is, is going up to 11, and then maybe 12, that kind of thing. And then there are some people here who are extravagant givers who... You're like, man, 10% was a long time ago. God has gifted me a lot, and I give way above that. And to me, my challenge to you is maybe, maybe it's moving to the legacy. I don't know. This is for you in the spirit of God. I can't, I can't dictate to anybody. It's, this is all between you and God what your next step is. A legacy giver is a person who says, 
who makes a commitment that my standard of giving is going to be lower than my stand is going to be higher than my standard of living. And I'm actually moving to the point that I am giving more than I'm living on. And God doesn't call everybody to that. But again, these are just some possible steps. All you need to do, and my challenge to you is, as an individual, as a family, to go home and ask the question, if we want to move more towards that widow, because to me, she's like the high bar. If, if, I just want to, if I want to be on a journey towards that, just what's my next step? That's all. That's my challenge is to ask and to take that next step. Carissa at her church um, in North Carolina, the pastor has coined a saying that I really love, um, and I probably passed things as one of that. He challenges his body all the time, let us strive to live sufficiently and give extravagantly, because that's what she was about. So can we be a people, we're all at different places, we're all in different places in our journey, but may we be people who live sufficiently, but we learn to give extravagantly. So let me pray. Father, thank you for this story that convicts me so much, how you lift this woman up, her generosity, and just the challenge it is continually to me, but I'm still far from that. I'm still far less generous, far less sacrificial than you, and I want to become more and more like you, so thank you that you've had me on a journey for a long time, that I have progressed. You've brought me so much further than where I was, but I know I've got a, I've got a lot ways to go, and so I just offer, again, myself anew to you this morning with this story. And make me a more generous person. I pray that of 12th, that we would be known as a group and a community of people who live sufficiently, but who give extravagantly. And we pray this in the name of Jesus, the one who gave all. Amen. And though it's a hard story, can we all say, with, maybe through gritted teeth to this story, can we say amen to this story? You know, amen, you know, that one hurts. Can we try that again? Amen. It's the word of the Lord there for a reason. Okay, I want to end with one quick thing. We've got a group of seniors who are graduating Saturday, and we wanted to honor them and give them a gift and commission them, send them out. So if you're a senior here, come up. I have a book for you. You know this is my, my, one of my spiritual gifts, is the giving of books. If you're a senior, come on up here. Yeah, come stand up here. Yeah, can we... This book has impacted me greatly. It's one of my top five, so I give it to you, and we're going to have just enough. That's great. Okay, anybody else? Okay. So all of these guys, I don't know, some of you, you're gone after this. We won't see you anymore. Some will hang around. I don't know. But we just, all of you, we want to we wanna commission and send you like we do any missionary because you guys are ministers, right? That's kind of what we're trying to get to is that we all see each other as ministers. And you're all missionaries. You're all sent to a place, to a vocation, to a calling, to a neighborhood where God wants to use you. So let me pray for you guys. Lord, I pray for these guys. I remember to be at this age and like you've got your whole life in front of you and it's scary but you're so excited. Um, all of them you've created and gifted. You're calling to certain vocations. You're going to put them in certain cities and certain churches and certain neighborhoods in certain places of work, wherever it is, because you, you're sending there um, as representatives of your kingdom. So, Lord, I just pray for all of them. We, um, we commission them in your name, and we send them out um, in the power of your spirit. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, can we honor them one more time? And then you guys can... Have a seat. All right, 12, stand up. We're done. I just, uh, Genevieve, excuse me, just all of us, I just, I send all of us as 12th Avenue. Yeah, stand with me. All of us, we are sent 
so that wherever we are tomorrow morning at 10 a.m., wherever it is, may we live generous lives and sacrificial lives, wherever you are at 10 a.m. So 12, you're sent. 